0: You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
1: I don't even know how to follow that. Not that way. (laughs) I know that. Thank you, Amy. Oh, back in the good old days of 2020, said no one ever, but still. Love takes off the masks. Love takes off the masks. The masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I use the word love here not merely in the personal sense but as a state of being or a state of grace, not in the infantile American sense of being made happy but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and growth. So says James Baldwin in The Fire Next Time. And in those words, in that love that Amy was just singing about, I can't help but see you, see us, all of us, and the intensity with which so many of us mask the fundamental vulnerability that is what it means to be human and alive. Especially, especially in these existentially frightening times. When we say that love is the spirit of this church, we are talking about the love that Baldwin is talking about. We are talking about a love that even now breaks through the mask and already sees the tender hearts of each of us. We just don't quite have the language or the social skills to know how to say, hey, I love you. I need you. And so we comment on the weather. We make an awkward muttering about work or we laugh to cover our tears. 47 degrees and no snow cover in February. Two of the most unpopular presidential candidates that are all but assured their party's nominations just to have another go-to contest that was tired before it even started. We might be tempted to panic over where we have wound up or where we have yet to arrive, but instead we are choosing to be here, to unify our hearts, to circle our spirits around the call of love, to quote Dr. Glenn Thomas. We are giving isolation a break, resting for a while in the warmth of community and common purpose. We are putting down our hidden weapons. We are picking up the courage to tell the truth to each other and look each other in the eye and love with an infectious, unexempting love. We are getting serious about joy and laughter and singing and kindness and unity because within them lies more power to change the world for good than division could ever hold. We can clap at that. Let me say that again so we can really clap for it. We are getting serious about joy and laughter and singing and kindness and unity because within them lies more power to change the world for good than division could ever hold. It's taking me a while to catch up to the fact, First Universalist, that you all, that we all are feeling ourselves, so I'm going to get there. Welcome to First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. My name is Reverend Arif Mamdani. I'm the associate minister here, and I am overjoyed to be leading worship this day with my colleagues, Reverend Ashley, Dr. Glenn Thomas, uh, Nanette Stearns, our worship associate. I can't forget Amy, gracing us with her music, recorded and live and in person. John and Olu. On sound and stream back there, uh, Liz Farmer was helping to orient our ushers and greeters. I see some of you back there. Thank you, ushers and greeters. I only see one of you naming with, with your name tag on, so, you know. <laughs> Jim and Richard, downstairs attending to the building. All of the people, yeah. <laughs> All of the people making religious education happen today. Who's making religious education happen today? Can you just give us a little wave? (laughs) The teenagers in the back are looking none too excited about making religious education happen today, but they're doing it. So, dear ones, as you settle into your seats for worship, I invite you to put down what you're holding. To view yourself through the lens of your heart. To remember that our faith says that each of us is born whole and holy. Each of us is a gift and that in this place, in this place, perhaps for a short while, we can learn to put down the masks that we hide behind and be seen in our true beauty. And so I want to invite you to join me in three breaths, but not necessarily for the purpose of calming down. That seems like the wrong energy for this morning. Might be for you. Make your choice. But it is exciting to be here. There is an energy that is flowing through our bodies and through this space this morning. And so if you want, you need not tamp that down with a quieting breath but use the breath to create more energy and aliveness in your body. So join me in this in whatever way you would like to. Three soft breaths or three big energizing ones. Knowing that we are each a gift, that this life is a miracle, and that we are here for it. So how about we kindle our flame and get this service going? Harriet, you want to help?
2: Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another.
3: first, Universalist. Wasn't I so cute <laughs> in 2020? Oh man, I gained so many skills <laughs> in the pandemic. Yeah. I'm here uh, for our time for all ages, and we're going to create a story together. A story where you are the gift and your job in the story is to add gifts of joy and love to the story. So be thinking about, like, what is a gift of love or laughter or joy that I can add to this story? This story, would you like to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Glenn Thomas will be coming around with a microphone for your gifts that you want to contribute to the story. So our story is about a community of they call themselves the rugged Loners." Uh, yeah, they're a very contemporary community, and um, <laughs> it's their technology that makes them feel like so individualized. And they feel like they can get through the world and through their lives all alone. And even though they're near each other, they live in close proximity in a city together, they often don't even look at each other when they pass by. They spend a lot of time staring down at their devices. So amongst this community of rugged loners, there's also an elder named Bobby who remembers a time before computers that you could carry in your pocket. And so the rugged loners are all doing their rugged loner things, watching their rugged loner TVs when they hear on the news that there is a storm coming. This is like winters of old Minnesota, not winters of current Minnesota. And so as the winter descends upon them, the skies become very gray, and they start to feel really sad. They start to feel really sad. and so. There happens to be a festival, a winter festival, and they all come together all staring down at their little devices. They all come together, but they're all very sad, and Elder Bobby has an idea. She's going to gift them with something that will bring joy and laughter into the community at this festival. What do you think she gifts them with? You can raise your hand if you want to make a suggestion or offer a gift. Stuffed
4: animals.
3: Absolutely. Elder Bobby comes with a stuffed animal for everyone. And as they're entering into the festival, she hands them out like Oprah did cars. You get a stuffed animal and you get a stuffed animal. And the rugged loners put down their phones and they look at the little stuffed animals and squish them and they feel little bits of joy in their heart. And as they enter... They suddenly think of something that they need their phone for. They put the stuffies under their arms. They pull back out their phones, and they look down at their devices. And they see that there is a war that is broken out on the other side of the planet where a group of people are being bombarded with bombs, and they are trapped in this place, and they have nowhere to go. And the rugged loners start to feel really, really sad. And Elder Bobby looks around, and she says, oh, no, no. I have a gift. I have to give them a gift to help them feel better about the way that things are and to give them hope about things that they can do, even though terrible things are happening in other places in the world. What do you think Elder Bobby gives them as a gift?
0: Oh, I like the train thing. (laughs) Yeah.
4: A present. What is the the present?
0: What's in the
3: present? a bicycle. A yes, bicycle. she gives them all bicycles. Of course
4: it's a
0: bicycle.
3: They and they have a they have a basket in the front and so they put their stuffies in the basket on the bicycle and they start to ride around the festival in the winter with their tires with chains on them. That's right. And they think, "Oh, this is so much better. I can move my body and that makes me feel a little better about the things that are going into the world on in the world." And Elder Bobby thinks, "Oh, that's not gonna be enough to get them through for all time. Uh, I'll have to keep giving them gifts of other things. What do you think is something else that she gives them to help them remain ooh, joyful?
0: Ooh, 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 I, I got you. I'm on my way up there. <laughs> chicka, 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 chicka,
3: chicka, the train is a All of the people wait as she goes digging into her bag of gifts. When she brings out... A helmet. A helmet, exactly. She gives all of the people helmets because she knows riding your bike can be dangerous. And if you fall, then you'll be sad again. And so all of the people, all of the rugged loners have helmets. They have bikes. They have stuffies. But then they notice that their bikes have a little device on them that they can put their phones right there on the handlebars. And they put their phones down there and they start to look and they see that... Someone has been killed by the police. And they start to get really sad again. Even though they're on their bikes with their helmets and their stuffies, they're still staring down at their devices. And Elder Bobby thinks, oh no, I have to give them something else to bring them joy and to bring them laughter. What do you think that they give? They give them the power of love and hope. (laughs) Yes. Elder Bobby gives them the power of love (laughs) and of hope. They do this by singing together. They do this by gathering together with their bikes and their stuffies and their helmets and being a community together, by joining their lives together so that when they start to feel lonely or when they start to get sad about the winter, they have someone else to be with. And so... It happens that Elder Bobby becomes sick. And all of the community get really sad because they found all of this joy and laughter because Elder Bobby remembered a time before technology and was able to gift them with things that would build them together as a community. So what do you think the community members, those rugged loners, came and brought for Elder Bobby and for each other to make them feel better as Elder Bobby became sick. An axolotl. Oh. A what? A what? <laughs> an axolotl. Tell us what that yeah, is. Tell us what that is. It's an amphibian.
0: Oh, it's an amphibian.
3: Oh, an amphibian. What else do you that? think the community members brought for each other and something for new Elder every Bobby? Day.
0: <laughs> okay. Free
3: Someone said healthcare. broccoli?
0: What's it? Yes! One more time. Brock. We got all kinds, of, all kinds of gifts.
3: Okay. Free healthcare.
0: Free healthcare. Free healthcare. Universal that's
3: healthcare. Exactly, yes. That's exactly right. they got I together that. and they figured out how to make sure that everybody had access to healthcare. Yeah, what other gifts do you think they brought?
0: Mm hmm. I- <laughs> uh, ca- candy.
4: Mountains and
3: mountains of candy. Mountains yes, and mountains candy. of candy. Because now that everybody had free health care, they could go to the dentist. Exactly. They could get cholesterol and high blood pressure exactly. medication. One more thing. What do you think the community brought for themselves and for Elder Bobby to make themselves feel better?
0: Would you pass this microphone all the way down that way to Alex?
3: Squish Mellow. Squish Squish Mellow. mellow. I'm Elder Bobby.
4: (laughs) Thank you.
3: Yes, Squishmallow. And with all of these things, and many, many more things, the community brought all of these things, but most importantly, the community brought themselves and they gathered together with music and gifts that they didn't expect anything in return for, and they found ways to be together to make music, to make art, to make joy, to make laughter, and to feel better. They stopped calling themselves the Rugged loners after that. What do you think they called themselves? You can call it out if you have an idea. They called themselves stuffed stuffed animals. animals. Exactly, because they were squishy. The teddies. And yeah, (laughs) and they made each other feel great. Thank you. So, we all just made a story together. What do you think of that story? How do you think the story would have turned out if you all hadn't put those gifts in the story? Oh, they also called themselves humans.
0: The humans. Stuffed
3: animals and humans Mm -hmm. what do we learn from making a story together yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that we all have great ideas to contribute any other ideas what do we learn from making a story together yeah technology isn't your whole life (laughs) thank you any other ideas what do we learn by making a story together do we have the same story if each person doesn't put in their contribution what were you going to say the story isn't over. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're all making a story together right now. All of us in this room and all of us all over the planet. And how the story turns out depends on what we all bring to the community. Yeah? So let's all bring our bikes and our helmets and our stuffies and our axolotls. And
0: our axolotls. <laughs> yes, that's right. And squishmallows. And,
3: all the, and squishmallows and all the things that I need to learn about Thank you all for creating this story with me.
5: Good morning. Join me as we come together in a mindful and prayerful way as we offer our thoughts of support, love, gratitude, and celebration. Picture a candle that has just been lit, perhaps a candle on a birthday cake, or one that you light at home to create more meditative surroundings or a candle that we used in December as part of our winter, winter solstice and Christmas Eve services. As the flame takes root on the wick, you might shelter it from the air around to ensure that it stays lit. You might cup your hands around the flame to protect it. This warms our hands as well as offering prayer and care. As the wax melts, around the wick, the flame emerges with more brightness and steadying light. In this same way, we hold space for others with our care and our words. We pause now in our gathering to share our joys and concerns and to hold space for each other as we express our words and thoughts. We offer our care and hope for each other as we find that same care and hope for ourselves. At this time, you are welcome to express your thoughts verbally or hold them in the quiet of your heart and mind. Place a hand over your heart as a way to protect and hold these words in quiet contemplation. In response to each spoken prayer, please join me in saying, you are not alone, we are holding it together. Here are a couple examples. For our nation, as we learn to celebrate and embrace our diversity, you are not alone, we are holding it together. For our neighborhoods, as we both enjoy this mild winter and grieve our lack of more familiar snow and cold, You are not alone. We are holding it together. Our love and care is with Lee Enger and David Yaffe and their sons, Jay and Sam Yaffe, as they grieve the death of Lee's mother, Marilyn Engler, who died on January 28th at the age of 91. May they know the embrace of this congregation in this tender time of loss and memory. You are not alone. We are holding it together. May our love and care hold Stan Sattinger and family as they mourn the unexpected death of Stan's wife, Jerry, who died on Thursday night. We will share information about a celebration of life when we have it. Stan appreciates the love and care he's receiving from this church. You are not alone. We are holding it together. We celebrate with Reverend Arif on being granted final fellowship with the Unitarian Universalist Association. This marks the conclusion of his credential process and he is deeply grateful to his Committee on Ministry, Jeff Lennox, Catherine Harrell, Jean Gugnan, and Frederick McDonald Dennis for their loving challenge and support of his growing ministry over the last three years, as well as this congregation in which his call was heard and nurtured. You are not alone. We are holding it together. And I think that deserves clapping. Thank you. We hold Ashley Breding in care today. Today would have been her father's birthday, but he's no longer with us. His memory is close with Ashley today as she remembers going to church with him and his deep support of her nurturing her spiritual life. We hold her in grief and pray that his memory be a blessing to her. You are not alone, we are holding it together. Susan Hoffman's mom Marilyn died this past Wednesday at 91 from complications from a fall. Please remember Nancy Gossard, Susan Hoffman, Teresa LaFaver, and Mary and Taylor Dossman in your prayers. Marilyn loved generously and was loved by many. Her memory is a blessing you are not alone, we are holding it together. And I invite you to share your own prayers and thoughts. For grief over an estranged father, you are not alone, we are holding it together. For for grief over the loss of a husband, You are not alone. We are holding it together. Thank you. Thank you for your words and thoughts as we carry these prayers forward into our daily life and to those we meet as we continue our individual journeys. Oh, yes. Go for it. Prayers for support for those who've received the diagnosis of brain cancer, especially one so young. You are not alone. We are holding it together. And back there.
4: for
5: mm-hmm, That's okay. <laughs> In gratitude to the community and moving forward, you are not alone, we are holding it together. For mental illness and healing, you are not alone, we are holding it together. For healing from addiction, you are not alone, We are holding it together. Thank you. You are not alone. We are holding it together. Thank you everyone, and thank you for the thoughts and prayers you hold within the silence of your heart and mind. Always remember, you are not alone. We are holding it together.
1: First Universalist Church, you are feeling yourself. It is so clear from walking these halls, from hearing the buzz in the social hall, from seeing all of the ways folks are plugging in, showing up, getting back to the business of church. And it is a beautiful thing to see. In case you didn't know, we are entering stewardship season at church. That is the time of year where we ask you to think about the place that church has in your life, what it means to you now and into the future, and it is the time of year where we talk about things that make us feel extra squirmy. Next month, we've got Sex Ed Sunday, but this month, yeah, look forward to that, (laughs) this month, we are encouraging real talk about money. And to start us off talking about money, we have board member, stewardship team member, frequent welcome and usher team member, and last but not least, mother of Vivian, Emily Wallace, to talk to us about money a little bit. Emily, you want to join me up here? Good morning.
6: as Reef introduced me, I'm Emily Wallace, and I joined First U in 2018, I think, yeah. And then I became a board member last year and also um, a stewardship committee co-chair. Um, and when I thought about what I wanted to say about giving to this church, well, I had a lot of things I wanted to say, but... I joined when I was feeling like really lost and feeling like I could not find community. Um, I did not have any children at the time, Vivian was not alive. (laughs) But after I joined the church, I started thinking, well, the world is not such a horrible place because I found this community and this community is so unique and I feel so honored and privileged to be part of it and to serve on its board. Um, So I think for me, giving to this church is my way of saying thank you for what it gives to me. Um, Some of you know this, and it's hard for me to talk about without getting emotional. My mother has dementia and does not know who I am and does not know that she's a grandma. And I clearly am making her a grandma again. Um, So when I walk into these doors with my daughter, I feel like I am giving her a place where she has adults and people who will be a positive influence on her, will help her grow into a person that I I hope that she becomes and that she can be proud of and that I think my mother would help her become if she was able to do that. So for me, this community is almost like a family and it gave me enough hope and joy to feel like I could bring children into the world and it would be a good place for them to be. So I think that giving money back to the church and saying this is important to do and I'm digging deep and really thinking about what it means to me is my way of hopefully paying it forward for someone else who may walk into these doors and need that community and need that space for themselves for their children, for their families, for their partner. Um, It's just, it's a really unique place and I'm just so glad that you're all here and I'm so glad that I get to be here with you and I'm so glad that I get to bring my children here to be surrounded by your love and care. Um, Thank you.
1: Thank you, Emily. Dear ones, while you are thinking about that invitation, as you are planning to grab your pledge packet in the social hall after the service. Let me say that again. As you are planning, as I'm sure you are, Mm -hmm. to go grab your pledge packet down in the social hall after the service. In the social hall (laughs) after the service, happy to walk down there with any of you. And we'll talk in the coming weeks about what is in those packets and our invitation to you. But right now, I want to talk to you for a minute about the serious swagger that you all have had since last Sunday. Last Sunday, not only did the service blow the doors open and sweep away any cobwebs that may have been lingering in our hearts, but wow, if you were not at the congregational meeting after the services, you really missed out. And how often do people say that about congregational meetings? <laughs> someone, someone said that that congregational meeting felt like a revival, UU style. They qualified that by saying they've never been to a revival. <laughs> but if they had, that's what it would have felt like. Mark Gorlick, our treasure, stood in this very pulpit and shared some difficult news with us. Mark shared that the congregation is lagging behind on giving to the tune of roughly $260,000. That's a lot of zeros. And then Mark inspired us to fulfill that promise, to make good on that giving so much so that folks in this sanctuary were shouting out numbers that they were going to contribute to help close that gap and make good on that promise. Between the time that the meeting started and the time that the meeting ended, members of the church had committed $101,000 toward the budget. Yeah. And by this morning, it was more than $148,000 in a week. More than halfway there, almost two-thirds of the way there. That is what I call some serious swagger, y'all. And now here's where you come in. We can close this today. We can close this today between the two services and all the folks that I know y'all are gonna call after the service. We can close this today, and we can focus after today on your pledge for next year's budget. Because here's what I want you to understand. What we have right now, that 148,000, actually a little bit more, what we have right now are commitments, and they are a commitment with a catch. Here is the catch. Those commitments are a challenge to close to triple Donations that you make today, all right? Any gift that you make toward closing this gap will be tripled because of those other commitments. Close to tripled. I'm a minister, not a mathematician. (laughs) My question is this. How often can you turn $100 into $300 or $500 into $1,500? Not that often. Not every day. Today you can. And here's my double challenge to y'all. And I know I'm being ever more countercultural here. Whatever we raise in the first service today will be offered up as a challenge to the second service. <laughs> to meet or beat. Now, I know that such a direct ask will make some of you uncomfortable. I know that this is not often the way that we have done fundraising here in the past. I also want you to know that I come from cultures where the biggest people in the mosque or the temple would stand in front of the doors, and the collection plates would keep going around until the amount that was needed was collected. And so if this hits you sideways, I both apologize and invite you to consider it an exercise in multiculturalism and intercultural communication. And remember, that the quicker we raise the funds, the sooner we will stop asking. (laughs) I invite the ushers to please come forward and receive this morning's offering.
5: A reading from Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I was once lucky enough to spend time doing ecological research in the Andes. My favorite part was market day in the local village when the square filled with vendors. There were tables loaded with platanos, carts of fresh papaya, stalls in bright colors with pyramids of tomatoes, and buckets of hairy yucca roots. Other vendors spread blankets on the ground with everything you could need from flip-flops to woven palm hats. Squatting behind her red blanket, a woman in a striped shawl and navy blue bowler spread out medicinal roots as beautifully wrinkled as she was. The colors, the smells of corn roasting on a wood fire and sharp limes and the sounds of all the voices mingle wonderfully in my memory. I had a favorite star where the owner, Adita looked for me each day. She would kindly explain how to cook unfamiliar items and pull out the sweetest pineapple she'd been saving under the table. Once she even had strawberries. I knew that I paid the gringa prices, but the experience of abundance and goodwill were worth every peso. I dreamed not long ago of that market with all its vivid textures. I walked through the stalls with a basket over my arm as always and went right to Adita for a bunch of fresh cilantro. We chatted and laughed and when I held out my coins, she waved them off, patting my arm and sending me away. A gift, she said. Muchas gracias, senora, I replied. There was my favorite Pandera with clean cloths laid over the round loaves. I chose a few rolls, opened my purse, and this vendor too gestured away my money as if I were impolite to suggest paying. I looked around in bewilderment. This was my familiar market, and yet everything had changed. It wasn't just for me. No shopper was paying. I floated through the market with a sense of euphoria. Gratitude was the only currency accepted here. It was all a gift. It was like picking strawberries in my childhood field. The merchants were just intermediaries passing on gifts from the earth. I looked in my basket, two zucchinis, an onion, tomatoes, bread, and a bunch of cilantro. It was still half empty, but it felt full. I had everything I needed. I glanced over at the cheese stall, thinking to get some, but knowing it would be given, not sold. I decided I could do without. It's funny, had all the things in the market merely been a very low price, I probably would have scooped up as much as I could. But when everything became a gift, I felt self-restraint. I didn't want to take too much. And I began thinking of what small presents I might bring to the vendors tomorrow. The dream faded, of course, but the feelings first of euphoria and then of self-restraint remain. I've thought of it often, and recognize now that I was the witness there to the conversion of a market economy to a gift economy, from private goods to common wealth. And in that transformation, the relationships became as nourishing as the food I was getting. Across the market stalls and blankets, warmth and compassion were changing hands. There was a shared celebration of abundance for all we had been given. And since every market basket contained a meal, there was justice.
7: Oh,
2: Get your wiggles out. We can do this, y'all. I love that story from Braiding Sweetgrass so much. I want to live inside her dream euphoria for a while and see how my whole being shifts, relaxes, into a world that is outside the daily demands of capitalism. Can you imagine walking through your local grocery store or farmer's market and everything being free? Not just free as in discarded, but free as in a gift meant for receiving from the earth, from the many hands that nourished its growth. Can you smell the pineapple? Can you feel the pucker of that sweet and sour in your mouth? I can, and that whole idea feels impossible at the same time. Just a dream, after all. And yet, Kimmerer insists, for the greater part of human history and in places in the world today, common resources were the rule. But some invented a different story, a social construct in which everything is a commodity to be bought and sold. The market economy story has spread like wildfire with uneven results for human well-being and devastation for the natural world. But it is just a story we have told ourselves and we are free to tell another. One of these stories opens the way to living in gratitude and and amazement and richness and generosity. One of these stories asks us to bestow our own gifts in kind to celebrate the kinship of the world. We can choose. If all the world is a commodity, how poor we grow. When all the world is a gift in motion, how wealthy we become. Even though we live in a market economy, can we behave as if the living world were a gift instead? I found myself wondering this week, what it would take to actually live like this, as if everything and everyone was a, was a gift made of earth and the breath of love. What fresh joy would we be able to live together? What justice would we be able to make together? What would we be willing to give, knowing it wasn't ours in the first place? What would we be willing to receive, knowing it was always only temporarily in other people's care anyways? Robin Wall Kimmer is not alone in her questions and analysis. Prophets from throughout our Unitarian Universalist history have shared similar wisdom. Having grown up in a Universalist Christian church, the story of a brown-skinned Jewish rabbi from a land we now call Palestine and his blessing of the loaves and fishes come to mind. I didn't even say his name, and I feel those of you who clen- those of you clench who grew up in Christian churches that did not celebrate your gorgeous queerness or honor your honest questions of the universe. I'm with you queer from the lipstick all the way through. <laughs> I honor you who have felt the danger of Christian antisemitism in your bones. And I want us to listen for the same thread of wisdom on which Kimmerer pulls with this story from our collective ancestral tradition. When it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000. Mainstream Christian theologies often hijack this story to point at Jesus's power to make a miracle out of a few measly loaves and a couple fish. These theologies have an investment in singular male power, achem. But that's not what this story is really about. After all, not too far back in the same story, Jesus refused to make unlimited food magically appear. This story isn't about Jesus's power, but our power in community. It is about another gift economy, an ancient and subversive one. In this case, it wasn't an Amazon-owned Whole Foods or big agriculture that set the terms of the people's imaginations of what was possible, but the Roman Empire. The empire maintained control as the purveyor of food through military force, and an emperor who reigned as a lower level god of agriculture. So when Jesus refused to send his crowd of over 5,000 into the nearby Roman town to buy food, it was a form of divestment from the exploitative Roman market economy, and in the eyes of Rome, both treason and heresy. Instead, Jesus blessed the little bit of bread and fish that they had and broke it open to start an underground trend of gifting. As Jesus blessed and broke open what he and those closest to him had brought with them, the others began to do the same, sheepishly unloading their pockets of their own bits of dried food and bread and ancient protein bars more than enough to feed everyone, and still have leftovers, it turned out. This is the miracle. It's not about one man thousands of years ago and his supernatural power. That's a sorry legacy for Jesus. This is a story we can actually live. It is about our own choice to divest from extractive economic systems destroying our planet and each other and imagine instead a different kind of economy of giving. Think mutual aid pods. Think neighborhood buy-nothing groups. Or go bigger, think about the housing crisis we face. When I lived in New York City, I remember a colleague working in housing justice saying, the real problem was not actually housing. There are thousands of apartments sitting empty all the time. In fact, there are more than enough empty apartments in New York City to house all the people who need housing. The problem is that there is a lot of imagined profit to lose when the measuring stick is only money only the story of the market economy. What if gratitude was the currency accepted, like in Kimmerer's dream? What if the goal was not the accumulation of wealth, but the transformation of relationships, as Kimmerer imagines? The result might be that the 100,000 unsheltered New Yorkers have housing, even temporarily. And in the process, amazement, compassion, abundance, justice, and joy would grow infinitely. Dreamy, isn't it? And not actually impossible. I want you to go with me to those shores with Jesus. Imagine the crowds. Imagine you have been walking all day, and you might be hangry or carrying around hangry children. And then you realize you aren't going to get where you are going that night where food was supposed to meet you. What do you do? I surely would have had at least the equivalent of that ancient protein bar in my bag, likely some other ancient kids' snacks. Would I be willing to share? It sounds so kindergarten to ask the question, would I really be willing to have enough trust in the gifts of the crowd? Would you? As I've been sitting with this question this week, I can't actually imagine trusting an anonymous crowd at the shore with Jesus to care for me and my family with enough food. My parental instincts my acculturation to individualism would send me on a solo trip to the store. But I can imagine trusting my chancel buddies, those folks leading worship up here with me, if they were among the ancient crowd with me. We spend time together each week in the intimacy of each other's stories as we dream worship together. We practice juggling the struggle and joy that is collaboration. I could tell you exactly the reason I would trust each of them to feed me food when it's scarce, and it's not because I'm a person they know gets hangry. It's because we have come in time and practice to know each other as living gifts. I can also imagine trusting the group of people I got to facilitate in a small group just the other day. I got to witness them hold each other's most tender, growing edges with such gentleness, such solidarity, even across Zoom. There is no doubt they knew each other and themselves as gifts in that time together. I can imagine trusting the group that calls themselves the Old Olds, our group of elders, age 80 and over, who meet regularly to build the spiritual strength they need to face into the last chapter of their lives. They have lived too much life to have time for anything but to know each other as gifts, to know time as gift. Who would you trust here to feed you and your family in a hangry crowd, to know you as a gift? Those of you who went to your first round of circle suppers last night, I bet you now have a group of gift humans that you would trust to feed you. But we are a big enough community that we can feel like an anonymous crowd of 5,000 if you are new. Or even if you've been around for a while, right? Or if you had that group and then we lost it when we lost the choir. Ooh, I broke the rules of indirect Minnesotan communication. I said it out loud, because if we cannot name it, we cannot heal it. Grieve. All of us at some time or another might feel like we are wandering in the anonymous or perhaps just polite company crowd around here. So how do we develop the kind of knowing of ourselves and each other as gifts that we need here at First U? The gift economy does not scale, it grows. It starts as a seed of recognition and gratitude of each other in our very bodies. It starts when we know ourselves as gifts made of earth and love, and it grows in community practice. Okay now that I've done the UU preacherly thing of showing you all that I am well studied and have lots of excellent sociopolitical analysis, (laughs) let me skip to the point of the sermon when I just get to speak from my heart. Each of you is a gift, a treasure of the living world. I am grateful for you, and you amaze me I feel you squirming now again. It's almost as bad as when I said that J word, Jesus. (laughs) That's kind of you, but you don't know me, you think. What sweet ministerial naivete. Our brains, soaked in our cultural norms of the market economy in which worth is assigned rather than innate, are suspicious, right? You don't have to believe me. This is a UU church we need not think alike to love alike. What matters is what we do. So what happens if you try the thought experiment? What happens if you live as if you are a gift of the living world? As if our collective well-being depends on you. As if you are truly amazing. What happens is, it, as if you live as if the person in, sitting next to you is a gift, too? And that small group you went to a month ago that you kept meaning to go back to? Them, too. And that person who you haven't actually talked to yet, but you keep meaning to say hello to? You don't have to figure it out today. We're going to keep coming back to these questions this month of stewardship. Because this stewardship season, we are inviting you to live this thought experiment. We are welcoming you into the church gift economy. Our beloved community exists because you, and yes, you, are a living gift. And because of your financial gifts. We don't put a price tag on anything at church. All our programs All of our connection points into relationship and healing and justice and joy are gifts. Of course they are. They are living embodiments of each of you, of our and yours and mine and each other's gifts. We operate this way as an ethical choice, refusing the story of the market economy that makes things of each of us and the natural world. We could turn every program, every class, every worship service into an event with a price tag. But where do you stop? Does each prayer request cost money? The Catholic Church tried that, or a version of that for a while, and our religious ancestors rebelled, sparking a movement that eventually led to us. So instead, Let's choose to live the story of gifts, of gratitude, of generosity. Let's choose transformation over profit. Let's live the abundance possible when we make gifts of ourselves and gifts of those resources that belong to the earth but live in our bank accounts. I'm going to break the white Minnesotan rules here one more time before I'm done. I'm going to talk about my own bank account. Oh, I know you gasped. (laughs) My wife and I have decided that we're going to double our pledge for 24-25's giving season. And no, staff around here have absolutely no obligation to contribute to this church financially. You already have our full time and talents. My wife and I are doing this because we believe in you in us, in the collective power of this beloved community. This kind of giving isn't possible for some of us, but this kind of commitment is possible for all of us. Double down with whatever your gift, money, time, talent, or all of them might be. Because you know who else is doubling down right now in this election year? The white Christian nationalists are doubling down. The people proposing anti-trans legislation are doubling down. The people limiting bodily sovereignty for all of us with a uterus are doubling down. The people who want to repeal my marriage are doubling down. The people profiting from war over the gift of ceasefire and hostage return are doubling down. How will you double down? How will we double down? We need each of you. Each of you is a gift, a treasure of the living world. I am grateful for you, and you amaze me. This is my truth. May you live and give as if it was yours, too. forth beloveds knowing that you are a gift to use your gifts to build a world of a bit more love a bit more justice a bit more joy may it be so
0: thanks for listening if you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast please consider supporting our ministry podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.